Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. So those last words say that we're blessed by hearing this aloud. We're blessed by reading these words. We're blessed by studying these words together. And we're going to do something a little different during this restoration, uh, restoration, this revelation uh, sermon series that we're doing. We are going to have someone in our congregation every week uh, partner with us in reading the text as we get started. We believe we're going to read through the entire book of Revelation here together in the coming weeks. And we're going to we're going to really focus in on certain themes because if we stayed and we really went word by word, verse by verse, we would be in the book of Revelation for a few years. And, uh, and you know what? You would still have as many questions as I do. And so we're going to, we're going to kind of look at, the, at this together. We're going to look at some important topics in the book together. And we hope, we hope by that that the Word of God comes alive to you and that you go and you get into God's Word. You study God's Word. You pick up reliable commentaries. You read God's Word and you ultimately ask, Holy Spirit, speak to me. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, Mr. Andre is in the back. He has some uh, Bibles in hand. Just look back, raise your hand, he'll bring it to you. Uh, We want you to follow along with us this morning. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. I have been in the Christian Standard Bible, but for the Revelation series, I'm going to go back to to the ESV, and uh, then we'll jump back to the, we may jump around a a whole lot. God's Word is inspired, and we, we we praise Him for the gift of His Word. So let's look at this together. This sermon today in the book of Revelation is entitled The Christ. Because what we see here in, in chapter 1 of Revelation is we see that Revelation is, is from Jesus and it's about Jesus. And so what we see in these first few verses, let's, let's first, let's unpack our big idea. Our big idea is that we've been given Revelation. Revelation is a gift to us. It's not, the book itself is not even something for us to divide over, to debate, to go on endless rabbit trails. The book has been given to us and it's been given to us as a gift. Secondly, we see this, one of our supporting ideas we see in the first three verses is that revelation is a blessing. Revelation is a blessing. It has been given to us and it's been given to us as a blessing. So let's read these verses again. Revelation 1, 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show, uh, to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Revelation is a blessing. I had a, I had a professor in seminary who taught two classes on the book of Re- He actually teaches a whole semester on Revelation, 
but he taught two of the New Testament survey classes on the book. And I was so intrigued by his take. Some of y'all know I picked up his book, which is like 800 pages long, and read through it. Uh, and and I, hey, he's, he's brilliant. He's a New Testament scholar, knows more than me. I don't even agree with all that he says. I don't think you would read any commentator and agree with everything that they say about the book of Revelation. But it's not a reason for us to avoid a hard book like this. Uh, it's not, a, y'all know that the last two chapters of the book of Ezra, we didn't skip over those. Those deal with, uh, with Ezra commanding Israel to divorce their pagan wives. Y'all know that's a tough passage. You're like, what in the world? Wait, Ezra commanded them to divorce? Wait, isn't divorce? Yeah, and I'm not going to answer that for you today. Go back and listen to our sermon series or study the last two chapters. You, As you get into the book of Ezra, as you get into it, you realize what they're talking about. There are difficult passages in the New Testament. We know the women cannot talk in the church, okay? Right? We like to skip over those verses. That's tough. Why do we even talk about those verses? There, There's an Old Testament verse about dashing kids against rocks, you know, when, when your kids are misbehaved and you're getting frustrated, you go back and read that verse. You know, and it's, it's not about, it's a, and, and so the book of Song of Solomon deals with sexual intimacy. Y'all know there's a book in the Bible that talks about sex. Wow, what a book that we don't want to talk about in church. I was committed very early on when, when, you know, my pastor, and I posted this on Facebook yesterday, my pastor, Buford Easley, when I was a kid, one of the very last things, he was kind of a, addressing our church as he was about to undergo some surgeries, and it was probably his last time ever addressing the church, and I remember we encircled the sanctuary to pray for him, and I remember he was in a walker, and he just, he asked the church, he said, remember this, if anything else, remember that from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, all of God's words are true. All of God's words are true. So the book of Revelation is a blessing. What we see, what makes Revelation sometimes difficult to approach is it really infuses three different types of, of, of writings. Now, uh, I know Tim taught some. Do you teach English in school, Tim? Once, once and every day again. Uh, maybe, maybe you didn't know that there were different types of writings, different ways to approach uh, presenting something to other people. Well, the, the biblical writers used many different forms of writing. Sometimes things were poetic. Sometimes they were straightforward. Sometimes they were prophetic. Sometimes they were written in a letter format, like Paul wrote most of his as a letter to a church. Well, the book of Revelation is written as a letter. We're going to read in just a moment in verse 4, and you will see that John then addresses this letter to the churches, uh, to the seven churches, which is, if you've been in our, our small groups, our community groups, whether Sunday morning or on Thursday night, you know that we're looking at the seven churches and, and what God has spoken to the seven churches through this book of Revelation. We see first, we see that this, uh, this, this, this book is an apocalypse. Apocalypse. Now you might ask, well, what's an apocalypse? Is that all about the future? An apocalypse is something that uses symbolic language to communicate an eternal truth that really tells you truth that doesn't just exist in this realm, but is true outside of this realm and for all time. 
Apocalypse was something that was very common in, in the, the early, early church. And was, it was common during that intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew. There, were all the, there was all this turmoil in Israel. There were the Maccabean revolts where, uh, where Judas Maccabees and the Hasmoneans, uh, they, the, they, they took back uh, control of the temple. And during this time, there were many wars that took place in that, uh, amongst Israel and against Israel. And we see that there were writings during this time that were apocalypse, and they, they presented language like dragons and, and, and things like this that would ultimately communicate an eternal truth. We also see, and where do we see that? One, in the very first verse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word there for revelation is apocalypsos, and so that we know from the very beginning it's a revelation of Jesus, from Jesus, and about Jesus. Secondly, we, we know that it's a prophecy. It's a prophecy, and, and, and he's writing this to show them what must, when take place, soon take place. Must soon take place, and to reveal to them all that he saw. So we see that's prophetic. Prophecy exists to tell a truth that is important for the here and now, and that exists in this realm in which we live in. And then lastly, we also see that it's a letter. It's written to churches. Revelation is a blessing. And, and, and John writes that the revelation of Jesus is for the here and the now. Now you might say, okay, well, the revelation is not all about its writer. Revelation is about its subject. It's the revelation of Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus that's given to John to pass along to us as the church. As we read here in a moment, we'll see that John... Uh, caught this vision while in the spirit on the island of Patmos. Now, church history tells us, Tertullian is one of the important historians that tells us this, one of the early church fathers, that John, extra-biblical church history tells us that John was probably the youngest of all the apostles. And he also outlived all of them. Uh, all the other apostles, they, they experienced gruesome deaths for their proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, the one that they followed. How do we know that Jesus' resurrection was real? Because all these people were willing to die because they knew it was real, and they knew he was real, and they knew he was coming again. John was the only one that didn't experience, like, as far as a martyr's death. But John was tortured. Church history tells us the emperor likely Domitian calls, uh, gets John, y'all ever seen the movie Gladiator? And, uh, you know, the movie Gladiator, you have the Roman Colosseum, and Roman Colosseum was like the center of entertainment in the world at that day, and uh, they, they would parade out animals and bees, and they would make these soldiers, gladiators, fight each other. It was all for entertainment. It was all blood sport. And what Domitian did is he actually took John, the last living apostle, the last living disciple, and he, he tried to force John to recant his faith, and John refused. So church history tells us that he tried to boil John alive in boiling water, boiling oil. He was literally cast in boiling oil to boil alive, and not a single hair on his head was harmed. Talk about a miracle, right? Furthermore, church history tells us 
every single person in the Colosseum that day followed Jesus as a result. Miracles are meant to affirm the Word of God, and miracles are meant to bring people to God. They're not meant to bring attention to John. They were meant to draw people to Jesus. And so what did Domitian? Domitian got mad. We don't exactly know whether Revelation was written during Nero's reign or Domitian's reign, but the, the Caesar, the emperor at that time, takes John and he casts him out to an island named Patmos. Now Romans, if they didn't crucify you on a cross, they would banish you, and they would banish you to a place all alone. And so, so John was banished to this island called Patmos. And while on Patmos... Jesus wasn't done with John. Just as Paul in the New Testament, when he was in prison, Jesus is never done with us when it looks like all hope is gone. So Jesus gives a vision to John. And this vision given, given to John was to be written down and to be encouraged and given to the church today. So what we see is Revelation is a blessing, and we are blessed to read these words out loud together. Secondly, we see this. Revelation is all about Jesus. Revelation is all about Jesus. Let's read the next few verses together. Revelation 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Let me, let me pause here for just a second. We, we see that John is writing this letter to churches. It's, it's being written, Revelation is being given to churches. Revelation isn't something that we should debate on television and give all these, it's, it's given as an encouragement to the churches. It was given to seven churches. If you didn't know, apocalyptic writing deals a lot with symbolism. And y'all know a lot of people like to debate uh, symbology, right? And you can go too far into symbology that you go down some crazy rabbit holes. Y'all know anybody that's ever gone down crazy rabbit holes? Like, God's speaking to me because your license plate said this. And so I'm doing this. And he told me, well, we can go down some crazy paths. But what's undebated is that seven, in apocalyptic writing, seven meant perfection. Seven, and we'll get to the 666 as we get into Revelation. 666 is actually just the opposite of perfection. There's nothing crazy that we got to like read into it. It just means that's not perfect. Seven, it represents, represents God. It represents perfection. And so by sending this letter to seven churches, we really get the indication that this letter is meant for the church, for all churches of all time. And we even see the Trinity in these verses, right? Grace to you and, grace to you and peace from the seven spirits that are before his throne. I'm talking about God's throne. Now, seven spirits, you're like, wait, there's only one Holy Spirit. There's not seven Holy Spirits. Well, the Holy Spirit has a sevenfold ministry. You'll see that in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And the Spirit of the Lord, one, will rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom, two, and understanding, three, the Spirit of counsel, four, and might, five, and the Spirit of knowledge, uh, six, and the fear of the Lord. This is pro prophecy about the coming Christ. The, and so we see that this, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is, is, is enraptured before the throne of God. And from Jesus Christ, and, and it's all about Jesus. So what do these verses tell us as we read along? 
Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Jesus is a faithful witness. He was faithful to his Father. He was faithful even to the point of death. We see, uh, uh, Travis, you can skip ahead to Revelation 12, verse 11. I have a slide for that. It says, and they conquered him, talking about the beast, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. If you want to know what Revelation is all about, it's about this. And they conquered him, talking about the church, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love their lives, not even unto death. Just as Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, we are called to be faithful witnesses. You see, Revelation is really a war. Uh, It's a war of words. It's about our testimony. It's about what we're going to stand for when darkness seems to encompass us. Going back to chapter, to verse 4. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, and the firstborn of the dead. He defeats death, hell, and the grave, right? That's what we, that's what we celebrated last Sunday. He gives us eternal life. We get to live in resurrection reality right now. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is the ruler of the kings on earth. Y'all know that anybody that's in power is not in power less by the control of the one who is in power. Doesn't mean that God, that God's Uh, glory and God's goodness and favor shines down on every ruler. If you read scripture, God was in complete control of everything that happened. I think Mike right now, he's in in Romans, and we see a difficult kind of passage. Talk about passages we'd like to skip over. Romans 8 and 9, which a lot of people divide over, whether it's about like predestination or not. But what we see is that there's a verse in there that says that God even hardened Pharaoh's heart for his purposes. God hardened Pharaoh's heart for his purposes. He is the ruler of the kings on earth. We can be encouraged when election season rolls around. It doesn't mean that God's favor is on anyone, anyone, everyone in our White House. It doesn't mean that we are committed to pray for them. But that Donald Trump got elected because because God's in control. Barack Obama got elected because God's in control. George W. Bush got elected because God's in control. Bill Clinton got elected. We can keep going back and back and back. Every single person that's been in the White House is there because God's in control. Joe Biden is there because God's in control. It doesn't mean the favor is on everybody who's in the White House. It does mean that we can rest assured that whoever's in control, God is ultimately in control. And we are called to pray for them. The ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us, he loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and he's made us a kingdom. And what are we? Our kingdom of priests. We are a royal priesthood, as Peter wrote. We are, we are chosen. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, right? We are priests to God and Father, to him be glory and dominion, Forever and ever, amen. This, this makes us kind of think of the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, uh, prophecy tells us in Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14, that the, that the, the, the ancient of days comes down and he, he gives to the, to the Son of Man a kingdom that will be eternal. I'm paraphrasing here. But we see that this is fulfilled in the incarnation or the birth of Jesus. 
that he was given dominion that reigns forever and ever. He sits on the throne of David and that reigns forever and ever. Amen. And, and you know what amen means? It means let it be so. It affirms what comes before it. This tells us Revelation is all about who? Jesus. It's about the faithful witness. It's about the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings who freed us by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests and has given glory and dominion forever and ever. Revelation is all about Jesus. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Let that sink in. Every eye will see him. One day Jesus will return. He return a cloud of glory and every eye will see him. Amen. Even those who pierced him. Even those who killed him. And all the tribes, talking about all the people of earth, will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who was and who is to come the Almighty. The cross of Jesus Christ is the apocalypse, the revelation of God's love for you and me. Amen. Revelation is all about Jesus. Lastly, we see this. We're going we're to read the last uh, 11 verses, beginning in verse 9, with this. Revelation is for the church. We've been given revelation. Revelation's a blessing. Revelation is all about Jesus. But rest assured, revelation is for the church. Revelation isn't given to scare the you-know-what out of other people. Revelation is not given so that we can go down rabbit holes. Revelation is given as an encouragement, an apocalypse, a prophecy, a letter to who? The church. Revelation, if, if, if the book of Revelation isn't a letter written to churches, well then there's no reason for us to have it in Scripture. Wow. Revelation is meant to encourage us. Yes. Let's read these last few verses beginning in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me, behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice of him who was speaking to me, and in turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man. We ever heard the son of man before? It's what Daniel's prophecy was about. We read the Gospel of John. Jesus is the son of man. Clothed with, and what we'll see, I'm going to pause here as I'm reading. We'll see some realities of, of who this Jesus is. This Son of Man, I'm hoping to help you understand some of the apocalyptic language that's being written here. The Son of Man was clothed in a long robe. Well, who, who wore robes during this time? Priests. Priests wore robes. He's priestly. With a golden sash. Now, priests, they weren't royal, but who wore gold, which represented royalty? Kings. Kings, right? 
and a golden sash around his chest, and the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. That represents purity. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Flaming eyes in that time really meant all-seeing, all-knowing, right? We even have that on our currency, right? The Masonic symbol, right? The all-knowing eye. Flaming eyes meant piercing, omniscient. There's only one person that knows everything. His name is, his name is Jesus. His eyes were like the flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze. This is the one that gets me most excited. Because if you know, I've never been to Rome. Anybody been to Rome or Italy in here? Anybody? Okay. Simona, you don't count. You grew up near there. Um, so we're all jealous of where you've been. Um, and so, so here's the thing. Rome was very... Ephesus or statues, right? That symbolized their power and their might. You ever walked around, ever been to Washington, D.C.? And like you see all the huge statues and monuments. You walk past the Capitol, the stories were there not long ago. And, and you look at it and you're like, wow, America, we're like the modern day Rome. Like we build these things that symbolize our leaders and all. Well, the difference with Rome is they built statues and they were burnished bronze. And these burnished bronze statues often featured this historic, like, gigantic leader or general, usually with their subjects underfoot. Look this up. Look up Roman statues of, of, of generals, like when you get home. And, and a lot of these statues featured the people that they were conquering, and they were, their feet were pressed upon their, the ones they were oppressing. But what are Jesus' feet like? They're like burnished bronze. He's got the power. Rome doesn't. No earthly kingdom has the power. Only Jesus does. Refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. My professor, Dr. Stevens, has a really awesome take on this. He thinks about John. and the island of Patmos, we know that Patmos has hills. And that the, the waves break upon the hill. You ever wonder? We have a new football team in town. It's like an old football team, right? Called the New Orleans Breakers. I'm a nerd. I like all the, the leagues that don't really matter. And, uh, but what people are like, well, what is a breaker? That doesn't even make sense. Well, it's when water hits upon. It's when the waves break, right? And this is what John was likely hearing, these roar of these mighty waters on this place of isolation. And what this vision is telling him is that God is even more powerful, right? God has the authority that the waves have. I was watching a, a thing on Discovery the, the other day about these islands in the Pacific that have, uh, have disappeared from the actions of waves. Like in the last like 10 years of waves just taking them and washing them back out to sea. The sea is powerful. We know that here in New Orleans, right? We had levees that broke, uh, what, 16, 17 years ago when Katrina hit. We know that, that water is powerful. And what, what is this, this Jesus like? He's like the roar of what? Mighty waves. Like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, right hand represents authority. Right hand represents blessing. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And we heard that before. We'll get to that in a moment. And his face was like the sun. The sun represents 
deity, the sun, even the pagans, they, they saw the sun and they worshiped the sun. No, but his face is, is, is like the sun and his face shines upon us. His face represents his might shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Now this verse, many people think this next verse I'm going to read, verse 19, is, is really kind of even a summary verse of the entire book of Revelation. He says, Write there, therefore the things that you've seen, those that are, those that are now, and those that are to take place after this. And now an explanation comes that sets up the rest of the book. As for the mystery of the seven stars in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands that he's standing among, the seven stars are the, are, are the angels, the seven angels of the seven churches. Now, angel, angelos, really meant messenger. Sometimes this was meant for a human messenger, so possibly it's the leaders of the churches. Or, in fact, it could also be the spiritual force that is at work behind every church. Y'all know that our church, we are surrounded by angels who fight on our behalf and who war on our behalf to the seven angels of seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? We are called to what? Let our light shine before others. So that they would see, they would see it and they would give glory to God our Father. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Let me share some thoughts from my professor that I had at seminary, Gerald Stevens, who's currently the interim pastor at First Baptist St. Rose, godly, godly man. He writes this, the world may undergo a nuclear meltdown, but that will not be Armageddon. Let that sink in. The world may undergo a nuclear meltdown, but that will not be Armageddon. That will be human depravity and gross stupidity. Revelation is a prophetic call to obedience to seven churches in Asia Minor. Now what he's using here is he's saying that Revelation is not about all this crazy stuff that we, you know, we're going to get to Gog and Magog at the very end of the book. And Gog and Magog, people have had different meanings. Oh, is it, is it, is it Turkey and China? Is it Turkey and Russia? Is Russia invading Ukraine? Does that mean we're in the end time? Well, you know that everybody who's been alive in history for 2,000 years now thought that what was happening in their time was what was symbolically happening in Revelation. And what I'm saying today, and what I love that Dr. Stevens says in kind of a funny way, he says that'll be human depravity and gross stupidity. Don't blame all that on God. Revelation is meant to encourage churches who are living in the midst of human depravity and gross stupidity. It's not about us trying to figure it. Y'all know Revelation was written to these churches. And they probably, in fact, understood what was happening. In fact, because they were using symbolic language, it was probably an easy letter to pass around. Because someone would read it and it wouldn't make sense. But when the Christian took it and read it, they understood some of these things. Could in fact, I'm not saying it is, could in fact some of the language been meant to represent Rome. Represent the oppression that they were in. 
In fact, even here in this day, maybe, maybe Revelation isn't all about the fulfillment aspect. Maybe Revelation is just meant to encourage us. That while the early church, they had Nero and Domitian, we have evil working in our world today. And God's calling us to faithfulness. Revelation is for the church. And this faithfulness is affirmed by the sword that's coming out. What does it say? From his mouth is a sharp two-edged sword. Revelation's a war of words. Revelation is a war of truth. And you know what? We looked at last week. The truth's already won. It is finished and it is done. Yeah, Revelation chapter 21, verse, you know, I forget the verse. I think it's maybe verse 6. Correct me later. It says that, I have it here in my notes somewhere. I can't find it. It says that, oh yeah, there it is. 21 verse 6. I was right. So, when Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. And when he cries out in Revelation 21, it is done. When G, if we believe that all of his words are true, if he says that something's done, it's done. There's no future crazy Armageddon war. Like, it's been won. It's been won. It's been won for all time. Revelation is for the church. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 tell us this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The truth of God, the words of God, we don't just read them, they read us. That's what we see, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give account. This reminds me of Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. What do they do? They go and hide behind some trees. Like God doesn't know that they're behind the trees, right? And then what does he call it? He says, Adam, where are you? He knew where he was. He was trying to get Adam to respond. So Adam and Eve, they come out and they, they, we now, as a result of their failures, we are born into a state of just total depravity and muck. We're born into a world that has Hurricane Ida's and Hurricane Katrina's. We're born into a world that has division over race. We're born into a world where babies are killed each and every day because we, they're just inconvenient to us. We, we're born into a world that's hurting. Think about Simona. Simona's born into a world of countries fighting each other. We're born into a world nowadays, right, where it hasn't ended, right? Russia's invaded Ukraine, y'all. Every time I watch, I saw this news story of this kid just crying. He's like, why did they take my home away? And it made me think of Ashton, like, in Braden. And just like, like I said, Laura and I, every time an earthquake happens in Haiti, I want to like adopt all those kids. Like, I want to adopt them all. Like, why do we live in this world? Because it's broken. It's broken. But through Jesus, the kingdom of God has come. And so when we look at Revelation, may I position it this way. When we look at Revelation, just kind of like Jesus told John. Where was Jesus? He was in the middle of the seven golden lampstands. Right in the middle of his church. Right where he needs to be. Right where he wants to be. When we look at God, we look at God as a good father. Not one that abandons us, but one that loves us. One that takes us in. 
John writes to the, these churches and he says, I'm writing to you as a partner in the tribulation. Not in some future tribulation. He's saying, man, we're in it right now. And I'm writing to you as a partner. This has familial language. John was one of their leaders. John was the one that was blessed to get this revelation. But he's saying, I'm writing to you as no more than a partner in the suffering that you're going through. God has given us a church so that we can suffer well. We can rejoice well, right? Scripture tells us when one part of us suffers, we all suffer. When something good happens to us, we all get to celebrate. We get to do it as a family. That's why God gives us family church. God gives us the church. And he promises, even though all the muck's happening around you, the church is a glimpse of what is already, but not fully yet. So we live in the already. The kingdom of God is here. But one day every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is, is Lord, right? One will be taken. One will be left. The skies will open. The rider of the white horse will come and he will take us. He will take us. The new heaven and the new earth will be established. The new Jerusalem forevermore. And we'll see him face to face, right? That's the yet. That's the yet that we look forward to. And we believe that the best, for every, every, it's not just, when you say the best is yet to come, it's truth. It's biblical. We get to live in the midst of what we're living in right now, but we get to long for the day when all things will be made new. Revelation is given to the church. Let us not forget that we, have, our big idea, that we've been given revelation. I hope this is getting you excited about the book. And hopefully when we get to scrolls and, and trumpets and all these other things, you will see that God is giving us this vision, this insight for what? For the church. It's all about Him. It's all about Jesus. And we read this aloud. When we study this aloud, we're blessed. We're blessed. It's a, it's a blessing. Let us not avoid God's word. Every part of it, Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22, every single stinking word is a blessing to you and to me. I'd like to invite you today, if, if maybe, maybe God's word is just another book to you, because maybe you've never met the author of it. The author had his hands spread out and his feet laid down and nailed to a sinner's cross. And three days later, he busted wide to open the grave. And 40 days, he appeared to the apostles. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he said, I, my presence is coming. Ten days later, this presence fell upon the church. And now we have hope. We have life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The same John, right? Wrote, wrote those words down. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. When it comes to Jesus, it's not about steps you need to take. It's about the person you need to trust. And I, I just think as someone, if you know a little bit about my story, my father is now experiencing this type of eternal presence that we're looking at in the book of Revelation. 
But my father, when I was a kid, I didn't really consider him a great earthly father. God changed his heart. Praise God. But he beat the living snot out of me, and he abused my mother. How in the world do you live in a world like that? It was through the church that I saw that even though my earthly father was failing me at the time, that God had given me a whole host of fathers. Men like Buford Easley, like Rick White, Ron Dingus, Tommy Hinterling. Men that just meant the world to me and still mean the ones that are alive still mean the world to me today. I have a hard time. I know it was John that was getting this vision. I mean, you so, we don't have any little kids here. I mean, Braden understands. But John likely had the you-know-what being scared out of him at that moment. He was scared as. And what did Jesus do? He puts his right hand on him. That's what a father does. And that's what my father did for me. And that's when I accepted him as father. And because I accepted him as father, I've read verses like, honor your father and mother. And I honored my father. I loved my father. I didn't talk bad about my father. The same Holy Spirit that got a hold of me got a hold of my father. In the latter years of life, Dad was mentally disabled. He had some schizophrenia and bipolar, you know, that caused some of those things. And what happened in his later years, he was on government disability, which meant he couldn't work or make a certain amount of money and all that. And he said, this is as we were starting our first church, Restoration Church. I didn't realize restoration was what was, I was going to see take place in my own father. And he said, can I clean the toilets every week? He just came and cleaned. And I'll tell you, we just sold that property, and we're going to talk a little bit next week about how we're stewarding the property that we have and using some of the resources that we have to, to really get going the mission that God has called us to. But as we let go of that other property, churches aren't properties. I hope to, I hope to, I hope to, there's a church that's meeting here. You're the church. This is just a building. It's just a building. You're the church. But I was walking through that building right as we were about to sell it. The hardest room to walk into was that, that cleaning closet, his office. He sat in it three days a week, half the time did nothing, but then other times he just wanted to be near to his son. But then other times he walked around and cleaned. My boys got to spend time with him in that office. It reminds me that none of us are too far away from the right hand of God. And God's right hand today is reaching out to you. If you're feeling something, this is an emotional manipulation, I promise you. If you know me, you know I'm a realist. I'll tell you like it is. It's not emotional manipulation. Maybe, in fact, it's the Spirit of God tugging at you right now. The Bible says that all we have to do is call upon his name and shall be saved. Romans 10, 13 says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you call upon him today? He'll save you. Right here, right now. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing.
a song of response about how God, even in the midst of, of all this, He doesn't let go of us, and He never will. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for, for this book, for this book of truth that we get to read, that we get to study, that we get to, to ponder. Lord, I thank You that You're a God who puts Your right hand down. You're, you reach down into the muck and into the mess and you lift us up. You, we don't have to stay where we are. We don't have to stay in this, this waste that we create. You lift us higher. You lift us higher. You bring us to God. You position us in the heavenly places. So God, today, I pray that you would do that. You'd remind us that we're yours. We're yours and you're never letting go. To the one who conquers, the one who perseveres, because of your blood, because of the word of, your te- of, of our testimony, the truth, the sword that, that, that pierces every soul, Lord, we know that we have hope. We know that we have life. So God, help us to surrender it all, to lay it all down. Stop trying to do it our own way. God, help us to just let that right hand come on our shoulder and say, fear not. I'm the first and the last, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Jesus, because you are we can. And by the power of your spirit here today, we will. It's in your name we respond. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing a song of response.